Today on Locked On NBA, the Warriors and Pelicans get chippy, and KD is back, baby. That's coming up next on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. A look around the league Monday through Friday brought to you by an assortment of Locked on NBA network hosts. Um, today's episode, by the way, brought to you by Ultimate Basketball GM. If you ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your own basketball franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimatebasketballgm.com or look it up on the app stores. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in all caps locked on in the game. I am Andy Kamenetsky host, uh, co-host of the locked on Lakers podcast brought joined to you by Brendan clean from locked on Suns, Who's going to bring us some of his perspective on Kevin Durant's imminent return tonight against the Timberwolves. But first Brendan uh, warriors Pelicans, Pretty physical, really fun game, closing out the second half of the TNT doubleheader. A lot of jawing, a lot of turnovers, and in the second half, a flurry of Golden State points, 74 in the second half. Steph Curry finishes with 39. Uh, Jordan Poole, 21 off the bench. Kevon Looney was an offensive rebounding and, in a lot of ways, game-turning machine. Uh, what, what were your impressions from this one, because there were a lot of implications. The Warriors and Pelicans, I believe, had been next to each other in the standings, although it can be really difficult to remember now where exactly everything was because 4 through 12 remains so insanely bunched. But uh, the Warriors now back into the playoff mix at 6. Uh, what, what were some of your takeaways? It felt like uh, Draymond Green really wanted a suspension. <laughs> it, it seemed to me, it seemed to me like he just wanted to get it out of the way. Um, they play the Spurs next on, I think Thursday, and it maybe he had circled that game on his calendar, and and he had two texts. He was two texts away from from eighteen. He was trying to get them both out of the way in one fell swoop, and then somehow the refs just determined that they were actually maybe they were in on it on the opposite end and said, no way are we allowing his, his, uh, his sneaky attack here to actually pay off. And so uh, a couple of reviews and then a couple of calls that could have gone either way. He ends up with one tech and one flagrant when it's all said and done and endless minutes wasted of our, all of our time. But uh, no, I, I, he was the instigator as he always is no Jose Alvarado for the Pelicans. Otherwise I think this thing might've gotten completely off the rails, but yeah, a big win for the Warriors. It felt like the road Warriors kind of showed up in the first half and then the home Warriors came back and, and checked in for the second half, as you mentioned, 74 points and a much more characteristic game for these guys that, that they really need because I doubt they want to deal with the play and after they got ousted in it a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's funny with Draymond, like, you know, this has been him his entire career. And obviously, he's been a critical part of these four Warriors championships and these other trips to the finals. And he's the stir, he's the, you know, the straw that stirs the drink defensively for this team. I mean, he's still 
even at this stage of his career and some physical decline, he is still in a lot of ways the most valuable part of it. But I also wondered too, and I was thinking about this during this game, and, and ultimately the Warriors ended up winning, and Draymond did make some good plays along the way. I think a lot of those antics feel either more necessary to the fabric of the team or something that you can look past more when the Warriors are at their most invincible. Like the more vulnerable they are, the less I feel like that they can automatically just say that's Draymond being Draymond. Like there, you know, there was a point where Steve Kerr pulled Draymond off the floor and subbed him out, I believe for Jonathan Kaminga and Draymond clearly wanted to stay out there. And Kerr was like, no, you need to cool down. He was probably back out about 90 seconds later, but Mm -hmm. we're not far removed from Steve Kerr being asked about the the technicals and saying that, you know, Draymond has always known how to walk that line, not take it too far and him getting suspended like two games later, something like that. So when, and when you see this team right now that, you know, the Warriors reminded you in the second half, they're still a dangerous team, but we've seen all course of the season. They're also beatable. They're a more beatable team than they used to. Like they may, they may not have the same margins, for, for dealing with some of that stuff with Draymond, but man, Steph can still absolutely just destroy you. And I don't know if there's ever been anybody in the league whose shots can be more deflating than that guy. No. Yeah. There was that stretch in the third quarter where you mentioned Looney had six offensive rebounds in the game and it felt like just two or three possessions in a row I mean, I think it, it might have actually only been a couple, but there might have been multiple offensive rebounds on one or two of them. And they ended with Curry threes off of Looney sort of tossbacks off of those offensive rebounds. And it it is just it's so deflating to feel like everything you're doing defensively is working in a given possession. And I actually thought the Pelicans, I mean, they're a top 10 defense quietly in the NBA this year. And and it you did feel that at times in this game. It just, they didn't have, I I think enough offense, honestly, especially when Ingram wasn't out there to sort of keep the, keep control of the game, keep the pace on their terms, even when their defense was working. And and then Curry's just going to kind of pop the balloon uh, when he finally gets one to go in and you know, it's going to happen eventually. Um, but to your point on Draymond with the uh, being able to deal with some of the mistakes, what's funny to me is that I think you could actually say the same thing about Jordan pool. I, this felt like a pretty, one of the better pool games that I've seen from start to finish this season. I mean, he only had 21 points. I'm sure he's had bigger points totals, but when you look at the fact that it, not a lot of it came from behind the arc, and he didn't turn the ball over much. He was really great at attacking closeouts, getting into the teeth of the defense, doing things in transition. He's a player the same way where, you know, the margin for error has shrunk for him this season as they've lost depth. And Andrew Wiggins has been out for a long time now with this personal uh, situation that he's dealing with, apparently in Minnesota, not even with the team. Um, it pools pool has to be great. And he hasn't been as good this year. And it's very noticeable when he's not. So, I guess kudos to him on a night where he did have it. Uh, you got to give him the credit there too. And and he was pretty good. They were able to to play super small with all three of their scoring guards, plus Kaminga and Draymond for a lot of this game, which um, don't know how far that's going to get you in the postseason uh, with, with so little size out there, but uh, for tonight it worked. 
Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, I don't really know how far anything is going to get you for any of these teams in the West in the playoffs. Like, if I had to pick a team to come out of the West, I'm going to pick Denver just because I think they've been consistently the best team in the league and or in the West, I should say. And they've got a lot of experience and some of the defensive issues that they've had in the past, I think get mitigated more by having Contavious Caldwell Pope and, and Bruce Brown on this team and not being forced at times to play someone like a Michael Porter Jr. in crunch time when you're, when you're really not feeling solid about that. But all of these teams feel who are, I was going to say all these teams in the playoffs, but we still have no idea who that's going to be. They all feel beatable in some ways. Like I, I, I was recently doing um, access Lakers on spectrum sports net, the television partner for the Lakers. Um, I, I appear on there, you know, once or twice a month. And I was asked which team I thought was the scariest in the West. And my response was the Kings really. And the reason was a, just their offense is for real and it's hard to stop, but also too, like, I feel like they have a weird psychological advantage over some of these teams in that the, the pressure to beat them is going to be so much higher than just about everyone else because they have no track record. There's still the expectation that the Kangs are going to Kang and, you know, the Sacramento is going to be Sacramento. And I feel like they have they have a unique pressure that they put on everybody else that nobody else can really speak to. And for something as weird as this season, maybe that can be a difference maker because it's really hard to figure out what would greatly separate any of these teams from each other. Yeah, especially because I think the the weird thing this year, uh, the past couple, it's been injuries, right? Like Denver, the Clippers, the Warriors, a lot of these teams, you know, the Pelicans haven't even had Zion and maybe they won't this year either. But a lot of it was just sort of, well, who's going to be the healthiest? Who's going to sort of get healthy at the right time? And that was a lot of, of what decided some of these West series in years past, but everybody's basically healthy. I mean, the Paul George thing is a question mark, but everybody who we expected to come back outside of Zion, I guess is, is basically here. And so you can't even really point to that. Um, you know, I guess there's the element as we're about to talk about with Durant of like, how much time do you have, but then you're getting into really sort of semantic and, and ridiculous stuff. I hear your point on the Kings uh, I think there's something similar to be said with the Timberwolves in terms of a lot of teams in the West have a lot of pressure on them this season. You know, Denver even being the front runner, I don't think it'll be oh, yeah. a, a great summer over there if they don't go pretty far, right? Whereas I would even say Memphis is sort of in that camp, although, you know, they have their own drama, uh, of course, with Ja and, and Dylan Brooks, who also is a free agent on top of all of his shenanigans every night and whatever, but they're not really worried about it, right, either. Uh, they're young, and they're still kind of on the upswing. So I wonder if that does pose a little bit of a, of a factor, especially early in series where, you know, somebody steals a game or two just because, you know, we're just loose. We're out here. We're, we're, we're just doing our thing in a way that maybe other teams kind of tighten up and aren't able to. I, I, don't, I don't hate that as, with how crazy things are, a way to try to distinguish between all this because you're absolutely right. It, it is impossible to decipher right now, and, uh, I feel like we'll we'll exit we'll enter round two and still feel like we don't know much about the West. To be honest with you, 
Well, like I said, this win by the Warriors has them as the current sixth seed. Um, everyone listening will wake up to four through 12 as Phoenix, Clippers, Warriors, Timberwolves, Pelicans, Lakers, Thunder. That's the line. And then you got the Mavericks um, at the 11 seed, but they have the exact same record as the Thunder. And then the Jazz, I think at this point, are done, but they're technically still close enough at the 12. But, you know, it's it, this is kind of like the weather in the Midwest. If you don't like it, wait an hour. It's going to change. But um, speaking of the West and potentially big difference makers, uh, Kevin Durant will be making his return for Phoenix in a big game against the Timberwolves. Suns obviously need him. What does this do for the landscape of the West? Nobody knows this better than Brendan, so we're going to get his perspective coming up next. And Locked On NBA is brought to you by Ultimate Pro GM. I am really excited by this new partner and sponsor of today's episode, the mobile game Ultimate Pro GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your own basketball franchise, that dream can come true with Ultimate Pro Basketball GM manage every strategic aspect of your team during the season. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and even the assistant coaches, trading, training players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of the season. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free. It's playable offline. You can play it on the go whenever you want, however you want. And locked on NBA listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in the game store. That promo code has to be in all caps locked on. So make sure to check it out. Download the game. Just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code, or you can look it up in the app store. Again, probasketballgm.com, promo code locked on in all caps. Start your dynasty today. All right. So Kevin Durant making his return three weeks to the day after that left ankle sprain. And I mean, it goes without saying that Kevin Durant being back helps the Suns, but who would you say on this team right now, Brendan, would benefit the most from KD being back? That's a great question. Um, I think the obvious answer would have been Devin Booker. We saw Booker come back right around the same time that uh, from an injury, right around the same time that Durant made his son's debut. And Booker is, you know, a, a top 15 or so, 10 or so player in the league who is going to be feasting on, you know, the, the second best defender and wide open spaces he's not used to. But Ever since Durant got hurt, Booker has not really missed a step at all. He's playing some of the best basketball of his life. And so I, I almost hesitate to say he could even do more or really, you know, produce at a higher level because he's been great. Um, obviously, his life will be a little bit easier. But I think the honest answer is not as sexy, uh, but it's it's the bench. Uh, this is a Suns bench that after the trade and even prior to the trade, had been very suspect, you know, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have any two-way players, basically reliable two-way players. It is a, a makeup of specialists and, and maybes and, and whatever else. And so what they did with Durant and the three games that he played earlier in the year was just, okay, you know, we'll put four guys out there from the, from the bench and we'll put Durant out there. And 
lo and behold, as most lineups with Kevin Durant tend to do, they outscored everybody by a ton and, and it worked. And so you've seen the Suns bench pick up lately, especially offensively, just really blitzing teams with uh, TJ Warren and Terrence Ross scoring a bunch of points. So maybe they don't need it. Maybe the rotation looks a little different, but that's probably my answer because the starters are fine. Booker is great. They have an infrastructure. They've played together for a long time. It's mostly who's going to lift up those other guys. I don't think Chris Paul is at the point in his career where it's going to be him anymore. The answer had been Durant for the small stretch that he did play. I think it would, it would be, uh, it would be him again. And that kind of is all that they're really wondering about with this team is can those other guys do just enough because you know, the top four is about as good as it gets. Yeah, Zach Lowe over at ESPN, host of the great uh, Low Post podcast, he always talks about how Kevin Durant is the most malleable superstar in the league now, maybe in NBA history. And just that if there's anybody that you can just drop into a lineup and everything is just feels figured out by, you know, sort of definition of him being there, it's KD. And I'm going to be really curious to see exactly how that plays out because, you know, he, he barely played with them before getting hurt. And when the Suns made this deal, it obviously was seismic, but I, I did not have them as the front runner in the West, the way a lot of people automatically did, just because I wasn't sure there would be enough time for them to really figure out who they were, particularly with being such a top heavy team and having to make some defensive adjustments, you know, without uh, bridges there. And even Cam Johnson, I think to some degree, but the West being as crazy as it is. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, nobody really having these decided advantages over everybody else. This is going to be a real test to that theory of just how much, how much Kevin Durant connects everything in addition, just elevating everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, you saw uh, the team you cover hand it to the Suns a little bit last week, and there's been some panic about the role players and sort of supporting cast maybe disappointing some onlookers uh, around the around the NBA. What did you think of of this squad? I obviously we know they had a Durant sized hole there, but just did you feel as as worried about Phoenix seeing how those other guys played in his absence, or do you feel do you feel like Durant can, can lift them up? Well, I mean, Kevin Durant, just so much attention ends up on him. And then when you combine the attention that's also there on Devin Booker, like figuring out how to account for both of those guys, you know, with Chris Paul, even at this stage of his career, being able to to find guys in the best spots, that's going to be, that is going to be a nightmare to try to scheme against. I do have concerns about, how they can figure out a defensive scheme that works against, you know, a lot of offenses around the West that are pretty good themselves. I mean, they, they do feel like a pretty top heavy team and even somebody like Shamit or, or Ross or Warren, when they're playing well, I still wonder, particularly with like Ross and Shamit, how much, how much you can get away with them out there over extended minutes without some of the defensive issues coming up. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Monty Williams puts all of this together. I'm, I'm sure there's been a lot he's been trying to figure out in his mind, like exactly the combinations that he that he would 
throw out there and the and you know the the floor combo stuff like that but it's still going to be different once it's actually in practice and you know it's funny uh the the locked on lakers that everybody should be listening to today um we we talked about the lakers seven remaining games and we we're trying to handicap exactly what was happening down the stretch and they play phoenix the second to last game of the season for them and phoenix could could i mean you never never say anything in this West right now, but Phoenix could potentially be in a place where they're locked into a seed and can't, I doubt they're going to be able to move up at all, but maybe they can't even move down. And normally in situations like that, you start resting your stars. I actually said that I would be surprised if that happened with Phoenix, just because they need the court time together. Like, you might see Devin Booker and KD play 20 minutes, maybe something like that, 20, 25, lower than their usual amount um, against the Lakers in that game. But I would be really surprised if those guys didn't play every game for the rest of the season just because they, they, they don't have the luxury of sitting them for the playoffs. They, they need to figure out how to play with each other. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And And last year – the Suns, you know, uh, blitzed the league and and got the one seed and had it in hand, and they got the you know rec- team record, franchise record for for regular season wins. They they got that even before the end of March, and so they did. They were in a position to sit some guys, and you know I don't think it's it's explains what happened in the second round by any means when they lost to Dallas, but they got off to a pretty sluggish start actually in round one against New Orleans. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they, you know, had a a weird, I I just don't advocate for doing that really at any point. I would tend to lean toward what you just said of maybe limit some minutes, maybe have, you know, longer rotations, heavier, you know, bench, bench run, but you, you just take yourself out of rhythm by doing that, let alone a big pressure cooker situation like this, where, yeah, the Suns need every minute that they can get. Durant hasn't been practicing much during this whole uh, absence either by any account. So they just don't, it's not going to be hard, but you also don't really want to, you know, they're only going to get 10 games here. You don't want to to cut it back anymore from that uh, to, to, to come full circle on this. And um, the, the Lakers game that we were referencing a second ago, that was a perfect example of a matchup that I think that this Suns team is, is still going to struggle with a game where Durant has to play, elite defense uh against an opposing star you know i think in this matchup with even lebron back you're probably talking about durant guarding davis at times maybe not in the starting lineup maybe that's ayton but there's just not a lot of options for this sun's team to throw at guys like that and you very quickly get to durant having to you know how long is his to-do list every night right and so that's that's a concern. Um, and, and it starts with this Minnesota game, which is a big one. You keep referencing how tight the West is. If the Wolves win this game, they're going to move within a half game of the Suns and basically effectively take the tiebreaker against them. Yes, Minnesota. Like, that's how crazy this West is. And so the Suns are going to have to be doing all of these things we're talking about while also not sacrificing winning. They need to keep winning to be where they want to be in the conference uh, from a standing standpoint. So... Not an easy task, and it starts tomorrow. No, uh, better mop up that floor, floor really, really carefully yeah, exactly. uh, during this game. Like you, you put all those mop boys on notice. Like seriously, 
This is the most important mopping you will ever be doing. You look for every single drop of sweat out there. We cannot afford to have this happen. Like, you know, they're, they're going to be out there inspecting every single inch of that court. If I'm them, I don't even, uh, I just nix the pregame warmups for the rest of the year. Like Kevin, I understand you need what you need to get warm. You need what you need to be ready to play. We'll have the training staff step, uh, stretch you out in the locker room pregame, but you are not to step foot on the wood at all until uh, tip off like that. You're not even doing like very, very pregame, just getting shots up, getting loose. Like they do like in the, in the, in the warmup jerseys, like you're not even doing that. Like we're, we're, we're only using you when we absolutely need you um, because yeah, it was uh, as, as bizarre of an injury as I think you'll ever see in the NBA considering the moment and, and stakes and all that. But um, we have real or fake to get to in the final segment, taking on uh, our, our John Corrales and Jake Madison personas here to close out the Tuesday night locked on NBA. We'll, we'll talk about the hall of fame class, which in part got announced on Tuesday via ESPN first, uh, I want to tell everybody about FanDuel, which is the number one sports book in America. And there's no better place to get in on the tournament action than FanDuel. That's because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. Then Wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. Of course, not just in the tournaments, but you have NBA odds every day. You have soccer odds all over the place, all over the world on a day-by-day basis, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your shot at a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Okay, so uh, Andy, the uh, the Hall of Fame class got announced, and it's an amazing one. Um, and so we were going back and forth. We were going back and forth on what to do uh, in terms of this real or fake segment that um, and uh, that that John and and Jake tend to do on on Tuesday nights. And what we came up with is: is this the best Hall of Fame class ever? And there's some sleuths on the internet that have done some rankings in the past, but it's, it's going to be hard in terms of the star power and the sheer volume of people getting inducted to, to pass this one up. You're just talking about legend after legend in this class. Yeah, for people unaware of the class, it was announced that, or source, I should say, it's being reported, different sources, different outlets, including Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, Dwayne Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Greg Popovich, Pau Gasol, Tony Parker, Becky Hammond. That is an incredible class. Like when you think about this, Dwayne Wade, three-time champion, finals MVP, franchise icon, greatest heat ever. Dirk Nowitzki, finals MVP, greatest maverick ever. Um, Tony Parker, I think, I, I can't say this with certainty, but I think best player ever from France. Um, finals MVP, multiple time champion, Pau Gasol, best player ever from Spain, uh, two time champion, uh, Becky Hammond, 
legend as a player already off to an incredible start as a coach and yeah she added a championship to this uh to this mix yeah with the real time (laughs) she's just bringing more along yeah yeah first season ever after spend you know after breaking ground in her own right spending time alongside greg popovich who you can make the argument is the best coach in nba history like you know if if you're going to make it a count the rings thing like strictly count the rings then he he's not going to win. You know, it's going to be Phil Jackson. Nobody's ever going to beat Phil. But if you want to try to break this down in terms of just pure coaching skill or, you know, the consistent ability to get the most out of your team's longevity, shape-shifting, all of that stuff, Popovich is at least in that conversation. Like you were you were saying, Brendan, just like the scope of this class when it comes to American basketball, international basketball, coaches, the women's game, this is an amazing class. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about three, uh, as you were listing it off, right? I mean, players who are the best or among the best ever from their countries, from three different countries, you know, and by my quick tally, as you were talking, I believe if you include uh, Becky Hammond's WNBA championship, which you do because it's a basketball Hall of Fame, not an NBA Hall of Fame, I think it's 18 championships among this group altogether. Um, I might have actually shortchanged with Dwayne Wade. So uh, he has three, right? He has three. Yeah, three. He got, he so, got one with Shaq, two 18. with LeBron. Yeah, I yeah. think it's 18 titles among this group, which like, is. Dirk is the slacker. Uh, He's insane. the only one with one. Yeah. Like, yeah, Dirk, Dirk, think about this from a championship perspective. Dirk Nowitzki ends up your weak link. That's how good this class is. Yeah. So to go through some of the the, the previous great ones, uh, 2009 was Michael Jordan, David Robinson and John Stockton in 2020, which I think I probably would have had as the, the previous best was Kobe, KG and Duncan. Um, honestly, that one might yes. still surpass this one. That's an amazing, uh, amazing yeah. class. That's yeah. really that that one is strong. that one's like an era defining. Yes, just sort of generational. Like these three players, in a lot of ways, just defined an entire you know span of basketball history. That's that's plus, pretty. Plus they, what was really awesome is Kobe and Duncan. You know, they played their teams basically were swapping trips to the finals for like six or seven straight years in in the Western Conference. Duncan and KG had a rivalry that often, frankly, got pretty nasty, but it was really entertaining to watch. Two of the greatest big men ever, Kobe and Garnett, played against each other twice in the finals, split those Lakers-Celtics. Like, that's just amazing. And the three of them did have a pretty, you know, pretty healthy respect for each other, no matter how heated that stuff got. Yeah. It's one of the cool things about this year too. The one that, that just got announced today is, you know, Wade and Dirk had two finals against one another. You had obviously Wade versus the Spurs in uh, the two back-to-back finals to close out LeBron's tenure with Miami and, you know, just, getting to, to kind of, I, I always love, I mean, it's the announcements is one thing, but I always love, um, you know, get the coverage of the actual 
commencement and, and enshrining of the players when it happens. And then their speeches, obviously we all love, but um, kind of when you get to see these people put on a pedestal compared to one another, it brings back not only their own careers, but the memories um, of, of them competing against each other. But 2010 was another big one, Carl Malone, Scotty Pippen. And then they honored, I didn't even um, remember that this had happened in this way, but they honored the entire 92 dream team that year. Okay. So that feels like I'm, cheating. Okay. I'm calling BS on that one. Honestly, like I, I, people might think this is a hot take, but I actually don't think it is at all. I think it's actually an honest take. The dream team thing was one of the most overrated champ, like overrated achievements in recent sports history. Like, that team was stacked at a time when the rest of the world really wasn't playing basketball. Like, of course they were going to kill all of those teams. Like, those teams had no chance whatsoever. Like, I, I'm sorry. The, the 2008 USA team that beat Spain in that incredible uh, finals, you know, you had the Gasol brothers on one side and Kobe, LeBron, Melo, Wade, like that was a much better achievement in my mind, because that's when the world actually started catching up. I remember at the time, like watching 92 being like, I don't understand what everyone's getting so excited about. Of course they're winning these games. Like some of these teams, some of these countries, I'm like, do they even play basketball? Like one of, was it Lithuania? Yeah. They, they needed to have like Bill Walton supply them with tie dyed uniforms. The, uh, well, and the, no, as an accomplishment, uh, your, your argument is well taken. The, the basketball hall of fame does love to do this sort of, um, you know, what it meant to the game types of, sure. of enshrinements at times. Yes. Like that's, I had the question when it first came up with, uh, the fact that pop was eligible. I didn't understand why. And I, I think, I think people coaches, it was something like either he's being honored in a way that isn't related directly to his current career as a coach or that coaches are just uh, subject to different rules or whatever, but it's it, the basketball hall of fame. I know people get mad that everyone gets in, but it's also a little uh, flowery with some of the ways that it does things. So I think maybe that was the idea with the dream team thing more so than like their on court dominance uh, but I hear you. Um, the last one here on the list is Shaq Iverson and Yao in 2016. That's pretty, pretty which, that's pretty great. And that's want, like one of those things too, with Shaq and Yao getting to kind of be there together. And they obviously had so many cool battles and it kind of took over the basketball world when they would, when they would compete. So um, I don't think period. that one has the the star power, but it's a cool one. You know what though? That one, what I think is really great about them is that's a great class when it comes to just cultural icons. Like and yeah. players that really shaped the the culture of the league at a time, and you can feel their influence moving forward. Like Iverson, you know, ushered in a lot of mainstreaming hip hop culture into the NBA. You know, he he took a lot of attacks for doing that. You know, Shaq was somebody that really started you know bringing in the idea of a hyphenate into the league, and and Yao, on top of being an incredible player, like. He proved that when you're great and you have like a personality that shines through things like a, a language barrier, you can work around that. You can be creative. Like, you know, he had that great commercial with the yo, yow, 
and he he was he was so likable that you, the the language barrier which often i think leagues use or companies use as a built-in excuse not to go to certain players yao showed how you know there are certain guys that just it's it's worth the time and creativity and investment and he was just he was a great guy. I, I really was a big fan of Yao. Final thought for me, just thinking about this with Powell, it's going to be really hard not to think about Kobe because Kobe would have been the one, I can promise this, who would have been inducting Powell. He would have been the obvious call. He would have been the one that Powell wanted. Um, and it's similar to what just happened with Powell's jersey getting retired by the Lakers in a lot of ways, it becomes a celebration and remembrance of Kobe as well. Yeah. It doesn't feel like we're going to be out of the, out of that, uh, that range for a while. It feels no. like the, the reminders and, uh, and it's not a bad thing necessarily. No. Um, but it, it's going to overshadow a lot for a while, I think. Um, and, and this will be another example of it. I wish it has to be somebody in the hall of fame to do it. Right. Yeah. To, yep. to, yeah, I was going to say Marcus Gasol could easily fill in, no, but it has it, to be somebody already there. I wonder I wonder who it'll be. Were I to guess right now, it'll be either Phil Jackson or mm-hmm. I I wonder if they would make an exception and allow Vanessa Bryant to give a speech inducting Powell on behalf of Kobe, but otherwise my guess is it's going to be Phil. Yeah. Well, then we'll get a, a Phil Jackson appearance out in the real the world again. Yeah. That'll be that'll yeah. be its own uh, form of well, fun. He doesn't here. do it often, but I think you know he showed no. up when Powell's number got retired. I think he would do this for Powell. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like we're in agreement. Is this the best Hall of Fame class ever? You know what? If someone wants to say it, man, I'm not going to argue. This is a great class. This is really yeah. really good. Uh, congrats to yeah. all those it guys. Should, and and it should be a blast. Class as it gets announced apparently in Houston uh, this weekend, then obviously the festivities when they are formally uh, put in later this year. So uh, that'll wrap us up today though, guys, thank you for listening to locked on NBA, making your first listen to get ready for your day uh, across the whole national basketball association. The playoffs are right around the corner. So thank you for making us part of your daily routine, subscribe or follow wherever you're finding the show including YouTube, drop a comment below, have some fun, be part of the community that way. Uh, Your next host will take care of you tomorrow, so catch that show uh, every single morning, tomorrow morning, uh, of course, and we will talk to you then.